I like beer. It makes me a jolly good fellow. I like beer. It helps me unwind, and sometimes it makes me feel mellow. Makes him feel mellow. Welcome to I Like Beer, the podcast, where we discuss great beers and the stories that go with them. I'm your host, Jeff. And I'm your host, Jeff. And a special shout out to sound guy, Tom, who is uh, making another virtual field trip possible tonight. Thank you, Tom. Yeah, we're lucky enough to be joined in a few minutes by Brian Helton, owner and brewer of Helton Brewing Company, Phoenix, Arizona. Folks, we are friends who love sharing beers, telling stories. In fact, we love it so much we made it a podcast. So please pour yourself a beer, pull up a chair, join us as we get ready to hear the story of Helton Brewing Company. And while you're at it, don't forget to follow us on social media at I Like Beer the Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. I Like Beer the Po One and I Like Beer the Ta One on Twitter. Maybe if if Twitter ever lets me back on. Right. Yeah, I, I hear you're you're coming of age very quickly. If you don't know, listeners, I we've had no Twitter presence through I Like Beer the Po One. I got knocked off Twitter for uh, being underage, and I assure you, I am I'm of age. I'm of many ages. Barely. Barely. Killing it on Instagram, though. Also, make sure to check out our website uh, to see us and learn more about us. I like beer, the podcast.com. Uh, we've got a few things, and you can now sign up for our quarterly newsletter on the homepage. I believe the first uh, edition of this will be coming out shortly, and it's going to be uh, our uh, top 10 beers. So beers you want to check out. We promise not to spam you or any of the other stuff that you're not supposed to do. Check it out and make sure you, you put your stuff in there so we can stay in contact. Talent. Are you ready to meet our guest? Of course. So welcome, owner of Helton Brewing Company, Brian Helton. Hey, welcome, Brian. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thanks for having me tonight. We're excited to hear your story. Uh, I got a lot of stories to tell, so. Perfect. <laughs> we haven't been lucky enough yet to visit your brewery in person, but it's definitely on our must-visit places list because the pictures of your venue are quite impressive. It looks like the perfect place to sit back, relax, and enjoy some beers with good company. Well, I'm happy to hear that. Uh, that's exactly how I built it. We literally tore down two barns in, in, in Indiana to uh, build the tasting room. And I, I built a place for, well, somewhere where I would want to sit down and have a beer with someone like you guys and talk. Uh, I'm not a restaurant. I'm not a bar. We're a brewery with a tasting room. So I didn't want a bunch of TVs. I didn't want a restaurant bar uh, vibe or any type of sports bar vibe. I want a kind of an environment that we can just kind of foster conversation. I almost didn't put internet in because Untapped is so big and yeah. you know, <laughs> they just get on their devices and instead of having a conversation, yeah. they're just on their devices. So I'm like, well, screw that. I'll stop that. But <laughs> you know, I, you know, I really couldn't do that. So. But then how are we going to get our badges? We got to get our badges. Yeah, we, get our badges. So we can't check in. We can't get our badges. So <laughs> It definitely has a little bit of a Midwest feel. I'm an Indiana guy, so there's a lot we can talk about when it comes to that vibe. But I definitely wanted to build it not like strip mall hell like Phoenix is loaded with. Um, just a place that you can sit back. The music's always good. The conversation should be flowing. Meet your neighbors kind of in place. So kind of with that in mind, you know, just to kind of start off, can you tell us a little about yourself in terms of when and how you got into brewing and then kind of what's give us the origin story of Helton Brewing? Okay. Um, ironically, uh, I was going to school for environmental engineering, realized I wasn't going to be happy working in a cubicle and dealing with geologists and environmental lawyers. 
So at that point, mind you, this is 25 years ago, I think, somewhere like that. I'm getting old now. But I've been brewing for quite some time, 23, 24 years for sure. And I went to try to go to culinary school, and they wouldn't accept me back then because I'd never worked in a, well, a restaurant. <laughs> so I had a friend that just opened up. Well, shit, they worked for a brewery that opened up in downtown Cincinnati at the time. And they're like, well, just come down here. If you just need a year experience, we can get you behind the bar and get you back in the brewery. We need a brewer assistant. So I did. That assist, uh, assistant job only took around six months before they were like, well, do you want a full-time brewing position? Because, you know, that brewer didn't make it. And, um, well, who wants to move to Cincinnati back in the 90s, especially when, the, the, you know, the explosion really hasn't happened yet. So during that time, I increased beer sales, not because of any skill set that I had. I've only been brewing for six months, but that place just had some uh, some issues that I was able to clean up, and they couldn't find anybody. So I literally just kind of fell into it. I was never a home brewer. I was drinking Sammy Smith's. Uh, I like beer, but being an environmental engineer, fluid dynamics, the chemistry, all of that correlates into being a brewer. And ironically, my passion has always been with food. So if you think about it, I kind of look at being a brewer as an industrial chef. You're still influencing water. You know, beer is 90% water, right? So when you're making your stocks and soups, you're always starting with your mirepoix, your bones. You're influencing the water. So brewers are kind of the very same thing as industrial chefs. So it really kind of fit. And I fell in love with it. And like I said, here I am 23, 24 years later, loving waking up every day, coming to the brewery and making beer. That's a very cool story. And it's kind of a cool way to do it. Like I said, it's, it's, it's definitely not your stereotypical way that most people get into it. Most people start in the home brewery industry and right. where you kind of, you fell into it and, and that's fantastic. Kind of find your passion there. Talk just a little bit about if, if any obstacles, you know, or successes that maybe that you'd like to highlight that kind of have helped define Helton Brewing, maybe your philosophies and goals as a brewery. Like what, I think you kind of hit a little bit on it in terms of the vibe you're looking for and the place you're trying to create, but, but anything else that you'd like to add? It's kind of simple, you know, it's, I don't think people understand this. And I, I consult with a bunch of uh, other people and projects and the beer that you drink here is not my best beer, you know, by no means. If your mentality is I want to brew the best six or seven beers and if they like it, amazing. Well, if you have that philosophy, guess what? You're really not going to make it in this industry. It's, it's not like that. You have to brew to the clientele that is in your area. In other words, if I'm brewing in Portland, Maine, and I have a certain beer style that's selling really well. I can go to Portland, Oregon. It's going to be a totally different clientele. So that beer that sold really well in Maine might not do over, you know, very well over in Oregon. So you have to be able to kind of look at the environment, look at what needs to be sold, and be able to fill that niche. And if you're a good enough brewer, you should be able to brew any style and make it to the liking of whether I'm in downtown Cincinnati or Atlanta or here. But everyone has a certain vibe. Now the beer should be clean. They should be good, but you need to kind of see. I never thought after 23, 24 years of brewing, I'd be brewing a sour. It's one of our number one selling beers. I'm a purist. I love my hazy IPA. I have four of them on right now, but believe me, three or four years ago, you shouldn't be making a hazy IPA. You know, right. The IPA should be right. clear. So there's a lot of things that you need to pivot to going forward. So where I'm going with this, the concept of, Having a brewery and the philosophies has never been really about the beer. It's, for me, it's been about my people, my staff. It's 
not so speak egotistical that I know how to make good beer. We know how to make clean beer, right? We know how to make beer that's going to sell. To build a good company, for me, I needed to concentrate on my people, my staff, my brewers, my employees, making sure they're happy and making sure it's an environment and a culture that's going to make them want to come to work and be happy they work here, not like, oh, shit, I got to go to work today. And it happens to be at 430 in the morning. They're on the canning line for 10 hours. <laughs> you know, So that was kind of my philosophy is like, let's make it about them first. And then everything should fall in line. If my product's good, my employees are happy, they're you know wanting to come to work, I'm brewing beer for the community, the beer styles that they're going to consume. Hey, that's my best chance because at the end of the day, guys, I'm just a brewer. You know, I'm not this entrepreneur. I'm not this you know savvy business person. I've been doing it long enough that it's time for me to try to make my own company and you know open up a brewery. So, so I'm going to say this. I'm going to point this out because we are tasting one of your beers right now. And you talked about location dictating the beer. I know Jeff's going to hit this in a second, so I'm sorry to jump in on that. But if I'm sitting in Arizona right now, Phoenix, Arizona, and it's 112 degrees or 113 (laughs) degrees, this Pilsner is phenomenal. I'm just going to say, I'm going to say that right now. Like, you know, knowing your audience, knowing your location, knowing the weather, this is like the ultimate, just clean, cold, crisp drinking beer on a hot day. Uh, Like I said, I think you, you guys nailed it with this one. Uh, thank you. Appreciate that. This is Valley Venom. It has a um, an almondy nuttiness to it that gives it yeah. some some character. Yeah, it's, uh, it's just a, you, some, it's some not your body. typical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, a lot of times the uh, pilsners come in so light and crisp that they almost are flavorless. Right. Not this yeah. one at all. It has it has this subtle complexity. It has a little body to it, and this this is definitely one of my favorite. I, I would agree. I, I mean, right now, I, I, one of the best Pilsners I've had in a long, long time. Yes. I mean, it's, it's very, very good. We've had a lot of the hopped up Pilsners. Yes. That's not what this is reminding me of. This is a Pilsner with a little character and body built into it. So, Brian, if that's completely wrong, fix it. <laughs> Tell us about your Pilsner. You're, you're right. There's a, a Harrington varietal of this Pilsner mall that I just love. There's probably, I think, around 45 different pills or malls that we can get from two or three different purveyors and we got them all and we're talking continental european pilsners as well and we did a blind tasting i've, I've always utilized this pilsner mall it's been my favorite but when i was about ready to open up a place i'm like well why don't we revisit and let's do a blind tasting of all the malls to make sure this is the one we're going to put our name on and once again it's just some are very grassy some are very kind of dms precursor corny but this one just had a unique character. Like you said, it's a little nutty, maybe a little straw. But a pilsner kind of tells no lies. I mean, if you mess up on the brewing process, you're going to taste it. There's nothing to mask any all flavors because there's nothing to it. You know, I mean, it's 11 IBUs, so it's not hoppy. But that's why a lot of guys put a lot of hops in their pilsner. In case they mess it up, it'll cover up those all flavors. Right. So this one, I just wanted to be, you know, extremely sessionable, extremely, you know, effervescent and carbonated in this hot summer in Phoenix. You know, that's what I think they needed. Yeah, no, I think it's pretty. And sessionable, is, I was going to use the word crushable, but I will use yeah. sessionable or, or porch powder. But this is like a go-to beer. Like, this is a beer that I would put on my list. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't think we're going to see Valley Venom on, in too many uh, of our local restaurants. But if I was there and I didn't know what to this is something I would order at every one of them. So you, got, you guys knocked it out of the park with this one. So uh, it's Valley Venom. I know we didn't really hit the name earlier, but Valley Venom Pilsner has an awesome can with the big rattlesnake on the front of it. 
Um, and if you can are anywhere close where you can get yourself a can of this, I, I would encourage you to check it out because I think you're going to be uh, uh, really pleased. Even if you're someone that doesn't typically like Pilsners, this is one you, you're going to enjoy. So probably a great time to give a shout out to a friend of the show, Branch McNeil. Yeah. Yes. And Tom Ree, both uh, former Carlsbad High School alumni, like Tom, Jeff, and Jeff, who uh, made sure that we got some of these. Really appreciate that. I'm actually kicking myself because I just, like I said, I came through that general area a week and a half ago, and I should have stopped and stocked up on this. So I think I'm going to have to head back to Phoenix. I might wait till it cools down a little bit, but, but I will be heading back to Phoenix here uh, to just. Oh, you up didn't on grab me that sour. I want to get the media, sour too. That's the other one I really want. Someone the sour from one. Phoenix, we'll, send me some of those sours. Yeah, we, we'll talk about that here and again shortly. So, <laughs> I'll trade you something from San Diego. We got yeah. some good beers here. You might have heard. <laughs> Oh, that sour looks fantastic. Well, we'll talk about that in a little bit. So that was Valley Venom. Fantastic. How did you end up in Phoenix, Arizona? Um, let's see. I've been in Phoenix now for about 20 years. Um, I think every brewer kind of dreams about designing and installing a brewery. So I had an opportunity. I was working with a corporate company that had breweries all across the United States. And I was running middle management. I was a senior brewer, running about five or six of them. They presented to uh, for me to come out to Phoenix and do an install. And uh, at that point, living in downtown Cincinnati, I was married uh, at that time. And she had kind of a her own salon, so I never thought I was going to you know say yes to this. And then she's like, "Well, that's stupid. Why don't we say heck with it and move out there? You know, somewhere different." So that's really kind of how it happened. Uh, so I was able to get out here to Phoenix and design and install a brewery for the company and just really kind of fell in love with it. I always thought I was going to be like in the Denver or more of a mountainous area. But Phoenix has a lot of great attributes. In two hours, I can be, you know, in the high country and hunting elk or hiking and camping and doing everything I want or four or five hours being in San Diego. So I kind of like Phoenix. I never thought I would be uh, opening up my company here, but here I am. You lost all your snow shoveling skills, though, haven't you? <laughs> well, right. <laughs> now, you you mentioned your early interest in in the culinary arts, but yeah. you found a way to get back into that uh, working with culinary arts students. Is that correct? Yeah, I started doing that selfishly, to be honest. I like I said, I'm a huge foodie. I spend my weekends and weeknights just going home and cooking. Love, you know, hanging out with the chefs. Majority of my friends are chefs that own restaurants. But anyway, the, the deal with the culinary thing, my concept was one day I'm probably going to open up a brewery, right? So if I'm teaching fermentation science to these culinary kids, if that day is going to be 5, 10, 15 years from now, these guys might have their own restaurant. They're going to remember that name, hopefully. Um, so that was just kind of my way of doing it. But also, well, I wanted to hang out at the culinary school. You know, they're always offering some great dinners. And if you guys don't know this out there listening, your local culinary school usually has some really great coursed out wine dinners and beer dinners that you guys can go to at a very, very reasonable cost. And these kids get to basically try out their skill sets. And it's always a great event. It's a little bit more fine dining than you're probably used to, but that's okay. You know, we're, they're teaching the kids. So it's a great way of just uh, getting involved. And I love teaching. I do believe education through your palate. I have that up on the board in the brewery. Uh, we teach sensory classes, all flavor classes here. The more we can educate the public on how to utilize their palate, it's better for 
my industry, it's better for the food industry in general, wine, you name it. About I, I think Americans have a very missing opportunity that they never work with their palate. You know, they're just laden with fast food, and this is what's supposed to taste good, and it's on every street corner. And instead of actually thinking for themselves or being open minded, so that's great. I'm going to say my next thing here, talent, with both great excitement and pride and shame because Brian shamed me on my, my uh, need for getting my badges from untapped. <laughs> well, you know where I'm going with this, aren't you? Don't you? Yeah. With this Pilsner. Yeah. This is, this is a Shawshank beer. I agree. I, I think it is. This is a 5.0. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It's a, it's a fantastic beer. We sat and drank with the sun on our shoulders and felt like free men. Hell, we could have been tarring the roof of one of our own houses. We were the lords of all creation. If this Pilsner is this good, I, I can't wait to try the boysenberry sour. <laughs> we're going to have to get some to you. Yeah. <laughs> Brian, do you remember your first wow beers that you're, you're out there in the Midwest? Beers that change your thoughts on what beer could taste like or maybe have influenced your, your own brewing styles? The big one came for me when I was out here in Phoenix, and it was not too long ago, but when Knee Deep just started, and I remember, I think Chris and Brewer were still behind a jockey box for the cover of their website, so that's how young Knee Deep was, um, and someone gave me a, a can, I don't know which one came out first, was Citra or the S Citra, but one of them. I couldn't believe the date on the bottom of the can on when they canned it and how much aroma and flavor that he was getting in an IPA. Typically, what we like to think about, and you consumers can look at this too, is for every IBU a beer has on IPA-wise, can almost equivalent to one day. So let's just say a 60 IBU beer, if you look on that born on day and it's already two months, you're probably not going to expect the best quality at that point. Follow me? So one day, degradation. So for the amount of time on the degradation I got on that can, but the hop aromas and flavors, I was blown away by. And that's where in some of the new dry hopping techniques and recirculation of pumps and torpedoes, and we, we've done everything. In this industry, we get very creative. So that was kind of the forefront of a lot of these guys playing around. But that was like my aha moment that, it, it was very difficult to make a quality, consistent IPA, not one-offs, and put it in a can or bottle and have it the same all the time. And I remember Knee Deep at a very young age as a brewing company was doing that. And I remember that was my probably a huge aha moment, you know. Besides, of course, you know, doing the whole continental beers and the Trappist beers and everything else that you subject yourself to in the beginning of being a beer geek. You know, but I remember that was really a, a huge moment. It's like, wow, this is possible. This is amazing and consistent, you know. Right. right. Are there some styles that, because you said you, you've got to, you've got to massage, craft, manipulate your, your, what you're putting out to the customers based on what the customer wants. That makes all the sense in the world. But are there, a, is there a style or two that you, you just can't wait for the, uh, are they Phoenicians? in Phoenix <laughs> that can't wait for them to, to come around to? It's really the sours. The mixed culture is, you know, the, the final frontier, so to speak, for me. Uh, and that's where it's really kind of fun and unique. I mean, 
Brewing is all about ratios of mathematics. There really is. Water chemistry, and it's like, you know, we can get really geeky into all that, but it's a world that's underneath your microscope that really matters. So yeast health and, you know, how much you pitch and, you know, all that. You get that down, right? That's easy. Then you look at what the yeast brings to the table. And then once you start adding different, you know, whether you want to call them bugs, which we do in the industries or other yeasts, and you start doing these mixed cultures, that's what's unique and very, very uh, interesting to me. Um, so that's kind of where we're at. There's a lot of some, there's some great breweries, you know, brewers here in Phoenix that's coming around. And we're all kind of like dying to keep playing with this. Unfortunately, I, I'm a little too uh, neurotic to do mixed cultures and have wild yeast <laughs> floating around and bretomyces and pediococcus is like the alien movie, man. That thing gets loose. You're just screwed. Um, <laughs> and now that I'm actually putting in cans and with the distributor, it's even more risky, you know, when it comes to having those issues. So the next phase of Helton, hopefully maybe it'll be a sour house, a nice little farm out in the middle of nowhere where we can have our tool ship and let everyone bring their stuff and inoculate it and kind of just play around, you know. And here's something for you guys. You know, I heard at one of the uh, conferences, and I'm not going to say the name of the brewery because I'm sure they don't want to know this, but this is industry standard, that some of the best sour houses literally will throw 30% of their barrels away. Really? They, they just go the direction they wanted to. Interesting. You know? So to try to learn how to control these wild organisms and these pellicles, I think is going to be super cool. You know, I'm excited for that. Very cool. So with that kind of, some of that in mind, if someone's coming to Helton for the first time, yeah, you know, we just tried the Pilsner. Obviously you have the sour as well, but what are beers that people have to try? What do they need to check out? I'm a big IPA guy still at the end of the day. Um, I usually have four, uh, sometimes five IPAs on. I try to take the spectrum all the way around, you know, black IPA, a single hopped IPA, of course, the haze craze. You know, we always have one or two of those. I have one on right now that, I was drinking my normal house IPA and it was sitting around six point, I'm sorry, 7.8%. But after about three of them, I'm, you know, you're a little too intoxicated and you're waking up dehydrated. And I'm like, well, <laughs> the Northeast, I'm always drinking. So I wanted to come up with a, something that's like, all right, how can I make the lowest alcohol IPA, but make it as juicy as possible? Uh, I'm kind of anti adding fruit or juice to an IPA. I mean, there's a lot of guys that are doing it, but they're trying to mimic the varietal of hop anyway, whether it's the tropical fruit notes or the citrus notes. And I'm like, well, if you can't get it out of the hops or if you don't know how to utilize those hops and you have to subsidize with fruit juice, well, I, I think that's kind of like, I don't know. They can do it. I choose not to. So I really want to challenge myself of like, let's make the most juiciest, aromatic, low alcohol IPA drink. And I've had this one. 5.4%, just at, you know, 45 IBUs, I'm just loving. I mean, you can drink this beer all day, all night. It's actually called the all-nighter. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to put it on the, the full menu from here on out, I think. So, of course, I don't want to intrude on founders all day, you know, but right. that was my inspiration. I'm drinking all day, and we were camping, and I'm looking at it going, all right, this low-alcohol I can drink this all constantly. I need to make something like this out of the brewery. Right. But I think all day is what, four, six, four, eight. I went a little bit higher, you know. Right. So that was an inspiration. And I'm just digging it, you know. So maybe it's the heat here in the <laughs> right now. 
But, you know, always having an IPA when you come over here is something different. We can do flights of them so you can see the whole spectrum all the way from doubles. Sometimes we'll have a triple IPA when it's colder out to a black IPA. Just show people the spectrum that you can really, you know, have a diversity. And IPAs aren't just across the board. They're very diverse. Right. We have two beers, so... And I think with that in mind, yeah, we, we probably should try one of your IPAs. So. so we have the Northeast IPA, which you were just talking about. All right. You've talked to me. Yeah, let's try the Northeast IPA. So set us up for this beer as we open it up and pour it. So this is our um, kind of our, our flagship IPA that's out on the market. This is in cans and throughout everywhere. So I decided to put a hazy out there compared to our house IPA. Um, once again, what we wanted to do with this beer is make it very sessionable. I was at a, a great beer bar that's just down the street and I was sitting next to a couple and they were like drinking a beer and they're like, Oh my God, this is the best beer we've ever had. <laughs> right. You know, and I'm thinking to myself, not my best beer, right? They're drinking something at wandering tortoise. He has, it's a great beer bar. So when it's all said and done, the owner, Justin walks up and I was like, Hey man, what were they drinking? And he told me he's number 32 or whatever. Right. I'm like, I want to try it. So I tried it. During the meantime, he asked them, hey, do you guys want to have another beer? And you guys want that one? They're like, no, no, I'll give us a number three and number 12. I'm like, what the hell? You guys just said it's the best beer you've ever had. I would would never do that. You know? And here's the story. Why? Well, I had a sip of that beer, and I knew exactly what they were thinking. It was a phenomenal beer. It really was. But it was high in alcohol, sitting around 90 IBUs, and they got palate fatigue. Right. So – I was telling myself, it's like, Brian, if you're going to come onto the market with a great IPA, it can't be a big boy. It cannot cause people to get palate fatigue and only have one. Instead, I want them to buy a four pack and drink all four that evening. You know, so that's the kind of the theory of where this beer came from and why we put it in cans. So you learned in, let's say, seven to 12 minutes. Would that be about the, the time frame we're talking here? Right. Yeah. What it took, what to, and we love them. We absolutely yeah. love and adore them. What it yeah. took Stone about three years to learn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nicely done. This is what I call the juicy, juicy IPAs. Yeah, it's it's juicy, but it's not it, it's not over like over citrusy. I think like in terms of over, you know, I mean, you you can go that spectrum, but it's very clean, nice balanced finish. Um, again, another just really tasty beer. Nice. Well, there's a unique hop. Uh, the hop's called Belma, and it has a little bit of a strawberry vibe. Yeah. So, of course, you got the tropical notes and the citrus notes, but that, you know, Belma kind of balances out a little bit, so it's not a, just a massive tropical juice bomb. Right. That's what I say. It's got the it's got the tropical or the citrusy to it, but it's not like overwhelming. It doesn't feel like you're drinking like an orange bomb or a, you know, like that that like those ones that are just like just super over the top. It's very balanced at the end of it. I think it's. It's I get the strawberry a, uh, at the end, which I yeah, really enjoy. Yeah. And I'm not a terrific fan of orange in my beer. The blood orange is a little different story, but uh, but uh, the orange is subtle in it. And the strawberry comes in at the end, which I really enjoy. Nice. Thank you. So this is a great time to segment into the can art because this beer right. kind of started the, the whole uh, me working with this guy, Corey Miller. Corey Miller is my designer. Or the can art, all of them. We do something here called a barn bash every quarter, and it, it's kind of unique. It's, it's a night of art. It's a night of art that I like. So 
real quickly, people have not been here. It's a 10,000 square foot industrial building. So we have a lot of space so I can grow into the building. I wanted to buy the biggest building I could afford and not lease. So we would bring in a bunch of old cars, rat rods. It would be like the guy that cut it down to the guy that pinstriped it to the guy that did the upholstery. We'd have live graffiti on the outside of the building. I'd let local artists tag the building. I'd have four or five tattoo artists giving people tattoos in the brewery. We'd have live cow punk, which I'm a big cow punk music, um, outlaw and laws, they would always play. So I would look at it as like, beer's my art. You can walk around, enjoy my art, but enjoy all this other art at the same time. So people just walk around and it's a good night. So here comes this guy in one day and I've had a lot of graphic artists say, hey, we want to work with you. And typically they're like, oh, your H is too strong. It has this metallic, Metallica vibe and we want to redo this and their packages, you know, we're going to redo the money. I mean, just ridiculous, right? So I, I didn't give this guy much of attention because I'm so used to putting graphic artists off to the you know field. It's like, all right, yeah, I've heard that before. <laughs> so I kind of did that to him. I was like, have you ever been to one of our barn bashes? And he said, no. And I'm like, well, I don't know if you know my vibe then because I'm a kind of unique here in Phoenix because, well, I'm a person from Indiana. My music and what I like is a little bit different. I'm not trying to be like every other person here. And he goes, I'll tell you what, man. He goes, I'm going to go home and I'm going to make you a design that I think fits your image. And if you like it, you can have it. And then you decide if you want to work with me. I'm not lying. That guy went home four hours. I don't know if you guys have ever worked with Illustrator or anything else. These guys, it takes a while to put this out. He sent that logo to me of the Northeast. And I'm like, we're working together. <laughs> he nailed us to a T of my vibe of how and what Helton represents. Right. And ever since the, the guy is just absolutely amazing. Park Studios, Corey Miller. He's worked with so many other people now. He's just a great guy. He he listens to you and understands your vibe and doesn't try to put his niche into it. Right. And so many people don't do that. They try to tell you, here, this is what you need. Right. You know? Well, Corey Miller, nicely done. I, I'm going to describe it as for our list. I'll, I'll post pictures of all of this too, but kind of a Southwest punk with a Dolly twist. Yeah. Yeah. It's if that the, made no sense at all, look for the picture. <laughs> but it, well, it's it, like the steer head, but it's got the hops in the head of it. It's it's a really cool picture. It and really the drawn is. out landscape. Yeah, it, there's a lot to it. Well, I, my son's a, a graphic designer, so it's something that I pay close attention to and, and often cringe at. But it was something I was drawn to with Helton right away. Not only in the can art, but in the entire venue and the, the vibe you've created there. So... Again, that's why you're on our must-visit list. <laughs> Thanks. I, I heard you speak a little bit uh, about the difference of working with people versus working for people yeah. as part of your business philosophy, and it made me think it must be a lot of fun not only to visit Helton, but to work at Helton. Well, you know, it is work, and it's a lot of hard work. There's a lot of people that think they want to be a brewer till they spend some time in a brewery and then they realize, no, this isn't for me. Or they can work in an air-conditioned pub environment on a you know little five, eight-barrel system and you know flirt with the uh, hostess all day. And it's like, yeah, that's that's for you. But you know, some of the the aspects of being a real brewer is like you're a plumber, you're a welder, you're an electrician. 
Um, you're a chef. You're you're a little bit of everything. And, you know, I do ask a lot of my, you know, from my employees, my brewers. So, you know, for me to foster an environment that is enjoyable, I think, is kind of what I owe them. These guys and girls are working their butts off and they're very passionate. They they love beer. They love working in the brewery. And that's my due diligence is to try to have and foster an environment that, you know, kind of has that, well, I want to be here. You know, they're proud to be here. And I don't know if I do that. Uh, you'd have to talk to them, but that's my goal. You know, I just want to make sure that if, if they're happy and they want to come to work, then it's going to relay A in the product. And my quality assurance is pretty strict. And instead of them taking a shortcut after a 12-hour brew day and finishing up and doing things the way I want them to do it, they're going to because they know that quality is our number one important aspect of being a brewer. So no shortcuts. And, you know, if they're happy, they're going to they're gonna do that for me. Or let's say a bartender taking an extra minute when they realize, oh, wait a minute, you guys are beer aficionados and you want a little bit more knowledge about this beer. Hey, let me give you a brew tour. Let me get you back there. They're going to take the time and give you guys and get you back in the brewery and kind of, you know, just infect everybody with passion. And that's what this industry is. Everyone is infected with passion. And I just want to make sure that they see that in me as well. And it kind of comes from the top all the way down. And it's just a good place to work. Plus, I'm coming from the corporate environment after 20 years. And it's like, I did not want to be a corporate person. You know, it's like, it's, I, I've been there. I ran, you know, six breweries in, you know, multiple states constantly. And I know how it is to feel like you're not appreciated, you know, and you're just a middle management or the, the big shit umbrella for, you know, your employees. And I didn't, I never wanted to have that. I was a student of what not to do. <laughs> Very cool. So changing gears a little bit, tell people right now, how can we get Helton beers right now? If we're, we want to get some of these, how, you know, what are you guys doing for pickup delivery and so on? Yeah, we're pretty much in state only right now. And it's going to be a while before I ever decide to go out of state. But, you know, we're, we're out every single one of the, the sprouts. Um, we're in all of the total wines throughout the whole state, uh, certain QTs. Um, you're pretty much every good beer bar or beer bars carrying us as at least a rotating handle here or there. On our website and Facebook, you can order any of our beers online, whether it's growlers for curbside pickup or four pack of our cans or to get cakes. We do six stools and 15 and a half gallon cakes to the public as well. So, yeah, we, we're pretty much very accessibly able to uh, get beer out to the market. Very cool. I'm trying to figure out in my mind, how, calculating, how can I go get a keg of that Valley Venom for my keg yeah, you know what? It's just a short drive. It's a short drive through the desert. That's all it is. Oh, my goodness. You know what? You got to decide how, how far are you willing to commit or what are you willing to commit for good beer? So, oh, And I drink it all, too, so I can't share it with my wife because I know if That's she tasted true. it, so. she'd say, yeah, we could make a trip to Phoenix for that. Yeah, but you I know wasn't, what? You drive out this I didn't week think and you forward. hit there. There's some good restaurants you can hit on the way there and then come on back and... There you have it. It's his day. It might be a November, December type yeah. trip for yeah. me. The, the, we, the, the weather to me is the big sticking point right now. I'm going to say at least wait till it drops under 100. Yeah. <laughs> Once it drops under 100, then you start thinking about, hey, maybe it's time to head to, to there. But uh, but yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I, once, once we're ready, I'll, I'll take it. We're, we're taking a road trip. I want to go to the barn bash. I'll be honest with you. I want to head up yes. one of these barn bashes 
that sounds phenomenal. So well, now with all social distancing, yeah. I don't know when that's ever going to come back. Yeah, it'll it'll come back, but so we may have to be patient. We'll but be at, patient. At some point, yeah, at some point, that's, things are I, worth waiting for. Yeah, it's exactly right. But I, I like that idea, that concept. It's very cool. So again, speaking of that, right now, I'm obviously given the current circumstances and where we are. You know, what's next for you guys for Helton Brewing? Like, what are the plans near far future? You know, that kind of stuff. You know, I mean, obviously we're where we are right now, but then we're hoping and and, uh, and praying that at some point here in the hopefully not so distant future that we're going to be back and be able to come and, you know, visit in person to, to breweries and go to an event like the Barn Bash. Um, so what are some of those things you guys have maybe on tap that are, are you're waiting to, to launch? Um, let's see. Of course, getting different SKUs. And what I've done with this brewery is we designed it for our current system but also to add a larger system we're getting close to getting that next expansion growth which will be our last growth phase at least in this building um so that's what's on our dock right now is kind of figuring out the financials and when to pull that trigger and of course now you know sales are down across the board we have in this state series six and sevens which is basically your bars and well beer bars as well they're unable to be open to the public. It's just take right. out. So the, it's hard to definitely pull the trigger on expansion of growth when we're in the current state. So everything we're in a holding pattern, just like everybody else. Yeah. But for us, it's figuring out when to you know call our fabricator. We met with a couple of fabricators already. I'm excited to work with them and get a new system in here and you know get the next phase of growth built. Well, like we said, when the time is right. We're loading up and we're, we're heading over. Good. There's some, I, I will say this. There's, I, I've been to a handful of the breweries in not necessarily the Phoenix area, more the Tucson area and that kind of stuff. And I, I've always been really impressed with them. Um, and so I'm, I'm up for it. I'm up for, as soon as we feel comfortable to, to take a little road trip, we do the Phoenix Tucson area. Um, there are some great breweries and some great beers, uh, in, in that area. You know, and if you're someone that's listening from that area, you need to start checking out your, your local you know, your local scene there and, and supporting your local brewers and, and stuff. Because like I said, there's some people doing some great stuff. Brian Helton of Helton Brewing Company. Thanks again for joining us from Phoenix, Arizona. Oh, thank you guys. Very appreciative. And I look forward to meeting all of you guys. And congratulations on what you're doing because it, it's absolutely working. It's fantastic. And we just don't say that all the time. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm honored. We're, we're nothing if not honest. If you want to know more about Brian and his brewery, check out the Helton Brewing website. There's a fantastic video there, pictures of the tap room that we've been bragging on. Uh, it's really an impressive venue. We're looking forward to our visit. So listeners, thank you for joining us. Please keep spreading the word about our podcast. Don't forget to stop by our website, sign up for our newsletter. I like beer, the podcast.com. We always have this crazy Monday bump. When uh, we release an episode and then people check out the website. So we appreciate that. And we'd love to keep chatting with Brian, but uh, Branch and Tom only sent us two beers. <laughs> so we got to run. B double E double R U N beer run. B double E double R U N beer run. All we need is a 10 and a 5 or a car and a key and a sober driver. B double E double R U N beer run.